Wonderful. We're, uh, we're starting a new series today um, in the book of Matthew. Um, rather than do the whole series, uh, the, sorry, the whole book of Matthew um, and take a very long time over it and by the end of it wish that we had maybe had a little bit more uh, variety or dipped in and out, uh, we thought it would be good to uh, maybe do a few mini-series in the book of Matthew, do a few chapters at a time or a chapter at a time, uh, just keep going back to it. Thought it'd be a really good opportunity just to keep coming back to Jesus. That's that's what draws us together here, isn't it? It's the Lord Jesus. It's our relationship with Him. It's knowing Him, and a great way for us to do that as a church family is to just keep coming back to the Gospels and reading about the life of Jesus, discovering more about Him. So that's why we want to go through the Book of Matthew. It's a great uh, biography of His life. So I trust that we'll be enjoying it. We're starting with this mini series on Matthew one and two. Um, and uh, looking at uh, Jesus, the God-man. Uh, Paul writes to his friend Timothy and says that Jesus is unique, for there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Jesus Christ. In some ways, Jesus is a very ordinary man. He's got a name, Jesus, which in first century um, Jewish culture is a bit like being called Peter, James, or John. Um, he's nothing remarkable in that sense. Um, but there is something very unique about Jesus. His name, um, Jesus, comes from Yeshua, which the name Joshua comes from, and it means God saves. Jesus is the God-man. If you're looking for some uh, reading, uh, this is a, a great kind of introduction to Matthew. If you're not much of a big reader, but you'd love to try and read something that does you good, then get this book. It's called Matthew. It's from the Straight of the Heart series, Straight to the, to the Heart series by Phil Moore. Little bite-sized chunks, just taking little passages at a time. Um, if you want to get that while we're doing the series, that would be well worth having on your bookshelf. I wonder what you think of genealogies. Well, there's not much excitement about that. It's going to... <laughs> Tough morning then, because uh, the whole passage that we're going to read today is a genealogy. Uh, maybe you just think it's a list of boring names. My dad's actually really into ancestry and uh, kind of genealogies. In fact, this is this is my genealogy. Uh, this is my family tree. I know you can't really see it. It's probably a good thing. Um, but that is my family tree. And I, if if I were to tell you this morning that we were going to do a kind of you know presentation of my genealogy. I would imagine that some of you might decide that there's something better to do with your morning. But let me persuade you this morning, as we look at Jesus' family tree, as we look at his genealogy, that it's worth sticking around for and worth paying attention to what we read about this morning. Um, I wonder if you've seen that TV program. I think it's on BBC. Uh, It's been running for ages. I don't know if it's stopped yet. It's called Who Do You Think You Are? You seen that? genealogy program about finding out who your ancestors are, celebrities kind of get involved, hoping that they'll find some sort of fine lineage. You know, somebody in their family history who's really prominent and well-known. Um, and it's interesting, the title, isn't it? Who do you think you are? That something about their family history, their family tree, is going to tell them something about who they are, about their identity, about the kind of person they are or are becoming. And they're hoping for distinguished Ancestors and Matthew begins here with Jesus' genealogy, his family tree, investigating his ancestry. Um, maybe if you're a Christian here today, this is a chance as we read this for us to discover Jesus' family tree and so discover our family history because we're part of the family of God, aren't we? 
is for us to discover about ourselves by looking at the family of God's history that will reveal something about our identity. But maybe uh, you wouldn't call yourself a Christian uh, here today, just listening in. Hopefully, as, as I talk this morning, you'll understand more of uh, who Jesus is and his family tree and realize that he extends the welcome into his family, into God's family, to you as well. Uh, as we read it, do watch out for some familiar names. There'll be names that perhaps if you've got familiar with the Bible, you, you might recognize names of kings, prominent characters. And uh, unusually for a patriarchal culture, which Matthew's writing to, he includes five women. And they'll tell us something about um, Jesus' family. Uh, so let's have a read together. We're in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1 to 17. It reads like this. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob. Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. And Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Aminadab. And Aminadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon. Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, who's called Bathsheba, and Solomon the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam the father of Abijah, and Abijah the father of Asaph. Asaph, the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat, the father of Joram. Joram, the father of Uzziah. Are you still with me? Yeah, it's a tough one, isn't it? You're wondering what we're going to get out of this, but you'll, you'll be surprised by the end. And Uzziah, the father of Jotham, and Jotham, the father of Ahaz. Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh. Manasseh, the father of Amos, and Amos, the father of Josiah. And Josiah, the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon, the time when the people of God family of God got moved into exile in Babylon. And after the dip- deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel the father of Abiud, Abiud the father of Eliakim. I wish I'd practiced this a little bit more, to be honest, on some of these names. Eliakim, the father of Azor, Azor the father of Zadok, Zadok the father of Achim, Achim the father of Eliud, Eliud the father of Eleazar, Eleazar the father of Matham, Mathan, the father of Jacob, Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born. Hooray, we're at the end there. Who is called the Christ, or is called the Messiah. So all the generations, sorry, I haven't caught you up there, have I? So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations. And from David to the deportation, deportation rather, to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. Celebrities on this program, they're hoping for fine lineage, aren't they? They're hoping for a good one in their family history. It'll tell them something, you know, that will kind of... The outcome will be a bit of pride. Ah, oh, that's my family. Um, they're hoping for a, for a good one in their family line. They're not hoping for a wrong one, are they? And I don't know... A couple of episodes I remember. I remember Jeremy Clarkson doing it and discovering that in his family line he had the inventor of the Kilner Jar. 
which was a great source of pride to Jeremy Clarkson. Um, I also remember Jack Whitehall. You know the comedian Jack Whitehall did it with his dad? And they discovered that their family history and their family roots began with a bit of a wronging. Um, there were protests going on, freedom marches, and his family were the one hunting the protesters down. And uh, when we uh, read Genesis, which the book of Genesis, which means, me, uh, means origins or beginnings, it tells us the start of the humanity story. And it isn't pretty. It turns out that actually our ancestor is a bit of a wrong'un, to put it in Jack Whitehall's language. Adam, which means man, humankind, is a man who has it all. He lives in the presence of God himself. He's got the Garden of Eden for a home. Adam has got a wife who loves him and who he loves. And he's got an exciting development project in the land and the work that God has given him. And what Adam does is he blows it. He blows it. He ignores God. He does things his own way. He lives his life the way he pleases. He doesn't love his wife well. He passively blames her for his mistakes and his problems. He makes life harder for his family and for himself. Adam turns out to be a bit of a bit of a wrong'un. And on discovering that this is our common ancestry, there's nothing really to be proud about. There's not like a Jeremy Clarkson, oh, Kilnajar moment. There's a kind of, oh, it's a bit of a humbling, like for Jack Whitehall. There's a, oh, that's the start of our family. That's um, something to be humble about. But the good news of verse 1 here is that there's another family story, another family tree on offer to us. Verse 1 mirrors Genesis 5.1, which uses almost exactly the same language. Genesis 5.1 says, this is the book of the generations or genealogy of Adam. See, this uh, book of Matthews is a book of Genesis. It's a book of origins. Similar to John, when he starts off his gospel, he says, in the beginning was the word. In the beginning with Jesus. He's using the same language at the beginning of Genesis. In the beginning, God made the heavens and the earth. And Matthew's doing the same here. He's writing, if you like, a new Genesis. He's telling us about the true and better story and family tree that begins with Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, the one who is going to save, the better Adam. Jesus gets called even the second Adam. He's the God-man. Jesus is a good one rather than a wrong one. And seeing his kind of creation, the works of his hands in trouble, he takes responsibility himself rather than Adam's passivity. Jesus takes responsibility. He enters into human history, kind of subject to all the things that we've had to go through as humans. You know, growing up and learning as a child with siblings and parents and having to learn and going through some sort of education, going on to getting a job as a carpenter. And then he dies a death selflessly for others, for us. He rises again from the dead, overcoming death, and he ascends to his heavenly home to get it ready for us, to get it ready for the rest of his family in the new heavens and the new earth. Jesus is the beginning of the new creation. There's going to be a one new man in Christ. That's how the church gets described. The family story that everybody wants at the start of who do you think you are, we get through Jesus, the kind of story that gives a sense of pride to be part of the family. 
So the good news is for us that we get to decide which family tree will be ours. Will we be part of Adam's story, of humanity's story, or Jesus offers us his story, his family tree, and welcomes us into his family. And he welcomes everyone and anyone, as we'll come to see. Maybe you're sat here and you're thinking, no, probably not me. I sound a little bit more like this Adam fella. Um, I'm probably a bit more like Adam. Um, I feel like, you know, he's probably more kind of my kind of uh, guy. But we'll see that actually Jesus' family extends to everyone who would uh, come to him. And the family that we choose will shape our identity and will shape um, who we become. Uh, So the second thing is this, that God is faithful to his promises. We see this in the story. Uh, What does Jesus' family tree tell us about Jesus himself and Father God? It tells us that God is faithful to his promises. And you might notice at the end of the reading, there's um, a bit where it talks about 14 generations and 14 generations and 14 generations. It's actually not really. It's not, Matthew isn't doing some kind of mathematical statistics because actually he skips some generations. He includes some people. He swaps others in and out. He's not doing it for statistical reasons. He's trying to make a theological point. And I think the pr- theological point probably that he's trying to make is 14 is t- uh, seven twice. Seven being a biblical number for wholeness or uh, completion, the days of creation taking seven days. What it's speaking about is that Jesus is the one who fulfills, that he's the one who fulfills all the Old Testament promises. So we just started Matthew, which is at the start of the New Testament, but all of this, the Old Testament, is promise after promise after promise of what God is going to do. And what we read in Jesus in these Gospels is fulfillment after fulfillment after fulfillment, seeing that God is faithful to his promises. And that's what the arrival of Jesus means. That's what his birth means. It means that God is faithful to his promises. Verse 1, it says that he's the son of David. David was kind of at the peak of Israel's history, the greatest king of all. It was a time of prosperity and peace and success. And these were the promises that were over David, listen to this. This is from 2 Samuel 7. It said, uh, God makes a promise to King David um, about his son through the prophet Nathan. Nathan says to David this, I will raise up your offspring, singular, a person at some point, after you. He shall come from your body and establish his kingdom. He shall build a house, so read temple, for my name. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom. He shall build a house, sorry, uh, who shall come from body? Yeah, and I will establish, establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I'll be to him a father, he shall be to me a son. And when he commits iniquity, taking sin on the cross, I'll discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I, I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever, resurrected king. Your throne shall be established forever. What kind of throne was it going to be? What kind of kingdom was it going to be? This, have a listen to these verses. They often get read at, read at Christmas from Isaiah 9. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. What kind of government is it going to be? His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, 
and Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government, of his kingdom, of peace, there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. I, Jesus, is the fulfillment of these things that were promised to David. He is the son of David, not just a son of David, the son of David. He's the resurrected king who fulfills these promises to David, who's going to bring peace and bring wholeness, who's going to right all wrongs. And he gets called the son of Abraham. He's not just a son of Abraham, he's the son of Abraham. What gets promised to Abraham? This in Genesis 12, I'll make you a great nation. I'll bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing in you. All the families of the earth will be blessed, will be made happy, will be brought joy. Jesus is the fulfillment of God's promise of divine blessings to all nations, of joy, of happiness to all nations. And by calling Jesus the son of David, the son of Abraham, Matthew is saying, Israel, here's your promised Messiah. All nations, this is your hope. This is your promised hope. Jesus is the intended climax of God's, of the story of God's family. When we read the whole of the Old Testament, we're reading the story of God's family. And here it's crescendo, kind of like, what's called a crescendo. You know, a climax, a kind of trumpet blown. Hey, it's being fulfilled. Jesus has arrived. He's the son of David. He's the son of Abraham. He's the fulfillment of all God's promises. One writer says this, Jesus is the fulfillment of everything the Old Testament is trying to say. Everything. So if you're ever reading the Old Testament and you're thinking, what on earth does that mean? It must mean something at least about Jesus. So if you're ever reading it and thinking, gosh, this is dull, I'm finding this hard work, you just look a bit harder because it's telling you about Jesus. It's all about him. That uh, program, Who Do You Think You Are? What you're hoping to discover, or what the celebrities are hoping to discover, is that their family has made some sort of significant contribution to human history rather than a destructive one. And the good news is that if you are a Christian, if you call yourself part of the family, if you're part of the family of God, then you join in with his family business of fulfilling the promises of God on the earth. These are promises that Jesus fulfills, but he fulfills them through us, through you and I. To be a blessing, to do good, to bring joy to the families of the earth, to help establish Jesus' kingdom of peace, of justice, of making things right. Jesus is the wonderful counsellor. He's the one who helps people when they're feeling, maybe you've been in a situation, just feeling a bit lost and confused in life. Jesus helps people find their way. He's the wonderful counsellor. He's the mighty God. When we feel weak or we're suffering, he's the one who is mighty to help. He's the everlasting father. He's the one who shows us the unending, unchanging love of the Father towards us who might feel unloved. He's the Prince of Peace where maybe we feel uh, broken and weary. He's the one who brings wholeness. He's the one who gives us rest. And when we become part of God's family, that's the kind of kingdom we receive. Because basically becoming part of God's family is just receiving Jesus. 
saying, I give my life to you. I'm a part of your family. And then you receive what his family is about, which is this kind of kingdom. And as you become part of his family, this is the contribution we have to make to human history. And it's an amazing family to be a part of, isn't it? We've got an amazing uh, history. If you uh, are interested in reading a bit more, uh, small book recommendations. Uh, this is a great book called The Book That Made Your World by Vishal Mangawadi. It's a kind of history of the church and of the Bible and how uh, God's family has made a difference through human history. And um, he talks about how uh, Christians have been responsible for birthing rationality, technology, revolution, modern education, science, morality, the hospice movement. He doesn't mention the football league, but we began that as well, <laughs> just in case you're wondering. That's well, well worth a read. If you love a thicker book and a bit more kind of, you know, you really love your history and you love making your way through a history book, this is utterly brilliant, but also a very thick read. Um, but it's called Dominion. Uh, not written by a Christian, but an excellent kind of summary of uh, the history uh, of the church. And this is why we're doing a building project at the moment, isn't it? Because God has spoken to us about being a blessing to our town. We want to bless our town. So we, God's spoken to us about this building um, to have a resource here in the town centre where it would do us good as a church family so we can meet together and be on mission together, but also so that we would be a blessing uh, to our town and the, the regions around. And that's why we're kind of giving into that at the minute. Uh, the third thing is this that we realise that God's family is one that is merciful to sinners. Uh, who do you think you are, programme? The guests are really hoping for this prominent, successful, uh, reputable ancestor. And this is what they want to highlight. So if I took you back to my family tree, which I won't do because you can't read it on the screen, but uh, I tell you about uh, the lady in my family who started a charity in India and educated thousands of young girls who otherwise wouldn't have got education. I'll tell you about the butler who was on the Titanic who drowned on it but was a butler to a prominent merchant. I'll tell you about the soldier in my family who fought valiantly in the Battle of Trafalgar. I'd highlight all the positive notes. I probably wouldn't tell you about the guy in my family tree who was imprisoned for significant theft. This is what you want in your family tree, kind of highlight, here's the good ones, here's the, here's the good ones, the wrong ones, that's not, we don't have to worry about those. Um, but this is the opposite of what Matthew does in his genealogy, the total opposite. In fact, he swaps some names in and out in order to try and make a point. He's included some that you think, you'd probably be better, Matthew, kind of leaving them out. They don't look so good in a family tree. You probably should have just like maybe left them to the side. And in particular, he mentions some good kings, but he also mentions some horrific ones. He mentions Rehoboam, um, no, sorry, Rehoboam, uh, Jehoram, Ahaz, and Manasseh. Horrific kings who did, you know in Chronicles or Kings where you read and did evil in the sight of the Lord? That's those guys in Jesus' family tree. And then he mentions in particular five women, who he could have left out because of it as a patriarchic culture. Nobody's kind of expecting them. And he mentions Tamar. Tamar's story is that she dresses up as a prostitute in order to seduce her father-in-law. He mentions Rahab, who is a prostitute, who hides spies in her brothel. He mentions Ruth, who's not even part of the family of God ethnically. She's not a Jew. 
She's a foreigner. She's an outcast, a widowed migrant worker from Moab. Moabites weren't even allowed in the temple for a time. They were cast out, excluded. He mentions the wife of Uriah. doesn't even mention her by name. It's Bathsheba. Bathsheba's story is that she had an affair with King David, became queen soon after he had murdered her husband. He mentions Mary, an unmarried, pregnant teenager. The kind of stories that you might want to leave out of your family history if you're going to appear on who do you think you are. But Matthew includes them on purpose. You're thinking, this is, this is the supposed Messiah. This is the supposed Messiah King. And he's descended from this lot? Really? It's not much of a family tree. It's certainly not much to be proud of. It doesn't seem to be very impressive. Why does Matthew do that? Why is he like purposefully highlighting the skeletons, if you like, in Jesus' closet? Well, he's doing it for this reason. He's doing it to preach the gospel of the scandalous mercy of God towards sinners. He wants to preach the gospel of the scandalous mercy of God to sinners. It's going, look at all the sin in my family. That's what this story is doing. Look at it. It's full of it. In this family tree, there's incest, murder, affairs, prostitution, deceit, child sacrifice, rape. If he can show mercy to them, then he can show mercy to us. Luther, Martin Luther says this, Oh, Christ is the kind of person who isn't ashamed of sinners. In fact, he even puts them in his family tree. Christ is not one who's ashamed of sinners. He puts them in his family tree. Maybe you're thinking, God wouldn't want anything to do with me. I'll never be free from what my family has done. I'll never be free from their reputation. I'll never be free from what's been done to my family. The truth is, none of us have a family that's as bad as his. None of us has a family like this. If he can show mercy to them, why can't he show mercy to you and to yours? These are the kind of people Jesus welcomes into his family. Uh, Phil Moore, who writes the Matthew book that I recommended earlier, says this, Jesus was not born into a palace to rub shoulders with the rich and mighty, but into a dirty stable to rub shoulders with sinners, outcasts, and rejects. Anyone who's humble enough to cry out for a saviour and believe they found him in the carpenter's boy from Galilee. Anyone who's humble enough to cry out for a saviour and believe they found him in a carpenter's boy from Galilee. Not even from Galilee, actually, from a little town called Nazareth. He had to be called Jesus of Nazareth because Jesus is such an ordinary name. And Nazareth is so small, there'd probably still only be one Jesus in there. So I wonder if you think of yourself as a sinner, as an outcast, as a reject. Well, there's a place for you in God's family. There's a place for you in God's family. You're welcome here in this church. In fact, you'll fit right in. You'll fit right in here.
If you're feeling lost and confused in life, there's a place for you in God's family. Jesus is helping us here find our way in life. Are you feeling just weak? Like, you'd love to change something about yourself, but you just can't seem to manage to do it. You'd love to do something different in life, but you just don't have the strength for it. Maybe you're just suffering from illness, just feeling overwhelmed generally in life. Come be a part of God's family. Jesus is healing us and he's comforting us. Maybe you feel rejected, just out there in the world. You feel isolated. You don't quite fit in anywhere. You don't quite belong. Jesus welcomes us in and shows us that the Father loves us and his love for us is unchanging. Maybe you're feeling just broken, just a bit of a mess. Maybe you're feeling weary or tired, worn down by life. Come be a part of God's family because Jesus is making us whole and he's giving us rest. So I wonder, who do you think you are? Jesus doesn't say, uh, who do you think you are? He's not like that. He's open arms, welcoming you into his family. If you're humble enough to believe that you've got a saviour in a carpenter's boy from Nazareth in Galilee. If you're part of God's family, you're a sinner and a reject, but you're one who has scandalously received the mercy of God and been welcomed into the family. And not only that, you get to be a blessing, a joy bringer to the families of the earth. That's something incredible, isn't it? Those who were previously outcast are now the ones who are welcoming. The ones who were lost and confused in life are now the ones helping people find their way. The ones who were weak and suffering, the ones who are helping bring healing and comfort. The ones who are feeling rejected and loved, unloved, the ones now bringing love to people, regardless of who they are. Ones who are feeling broken and weary, now feeling whole and bringing wholeness and bringing uh, rest to people. It's an amazing thing, isn't it?